talk money. Apple, the tech giant, the iPhone maker, this week launched a credit card. That's right, Apple Card linked to Apple Pay. Apple's pitch with the card, well, it starts with cash, then goes deep with security and designs. So this week, we're gonna take a look at the card and the app. I've had an up-close look at both of them, and we're gonna compare it to the deals and features you can get elsewhere. Is it really a good deal? Welcome to Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. I am John Fort from CNBC at the NASDAQ market site overlooking Times Square. And with me this week, Sarah Rathner from NerdWallet. That's a site that studies these kinds of things. Joining us a bit later, CNBC's Deidre Bosa. Sarah, uh, thanks for being with me. Thank you for having me. So what's your take on the Apple card so far? Cash back, it's like 2% uh, for, for most things if you're using Apple Pay. 3% if you're buying something from Apple, whether it's hardware, software, apps, whatever, 3% cash back on that, no uh, annual fee. How good a deal is it? Well, compared to similar cash back cards, getting 2% on most of your purchases is pretty in line with other cards that are already on the market, like the City Double Cash. And if you happen to shop at a lot of retailers that don't accept Apple Pay, you're only going to get 1% cash back on all of your purchases, which is not as good as you can get with other cards. So it's always important to weigh the pluses and minuses of this card compared to the many other options that are already on the market. Yeah, so let's, let's go some more on this whole cash issue because I, I studied this a little bit heading into this and there's the Discover It cashback or Chase Freedom for, like, for people who are like credit engineers who are looking for absolutely the most cashback. There are these cards that will give you 5% cashback but like on a rotating group of things so you have to constantly sort of check and engineer. So, uh, for example, I, I think on Chase Freedom, in the first three months of the year, it was gas stations, tolls, and drug stores. Then it was home improvement stores and grocery stores. And then now it's, it's gas stations and streaming services. This is all on NerdWallet, by the way. You guys have this info. How big a thing is that? Well, that's a great option for consumers who, like you said, are willing to pay a little bit more attention to where they can get the best cash back deal as it changes throughout the year. And those cards are really nice to pair with what we call a flat rate cash back card. So you would get the 5% cash back on those specific bonus categories like gas stations this quarter or streaming services. But then if you paired that with a card that gets, say, 2% cash back, like either the City Double Cash or the Apple Card, if you use it with Apple Pay, then you can maximize the cash back that you would earn with every single purchase. So uh, I, I imagine that the key here is to figure out your own habits and, and lifestyle, right? Because there are cash back cards, then there are travel cards for, for the most part, and then there are kind of like luxury premium cards that sort of wrap in features of all of them. Where would you categorize Apple and who would you say this Apple card is for? So the Apple card falls into that cashback card category. So it's different from the travel rewards cards and the premium cards that you also see out there. And Apple is targeting a really broad audience of consumers with this card because it has no fees and it offers a range of APR that on the lower end is below average. They are hoping to attract basically anybody that wants cashback rewards and a somewhat simple program too. So are you going to get it? 
Uh, I am definitely considering it, but I also have other cards in my wallet. I am much more a travel rewards kind of lady, so we'll see how it fits into my current credit card portfolio. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, a travel rewards person too. I, I just, on Fort Knox, people might remember a, a year and a half ago, I think it was, maybe a little bit more than that, we had the points guy on, and he convinced me to get on the Chase Sapphire uh, Reserve bandwagon, and that, that's got the travel rewards and the perks and all that. Um, but I, what's with the multiple card strategy? I mean, I understand if there are different cards that get different rewards, but then Apple's also trying to get people to track all their purchases and manage to some extent their spending through the card. You can't really do that if you're using a bunch of different cards, right? Yeah, that, that is something that's a little bit tough. There are other apps out there, like the NerdWallet app, where you can connect it to multiple credit cards. So if you're the kind of person who uses one card at gas stations, another card at grocery stores, and then another card to earn travel rewards, you can track all of that use in one place, and it's really easy to use. Huh. Um, NerdWallet app. I'll, I'll let you give a plug for that, and I guess uh, related apps. Does, does it also help you manage which card you should be using for which type of purchase? Because I imagine that could get difficult to, to manage. Well, right now, no, that's, that's definitely up to you to uh, keep in mind and, and keep uh, track of your cards. I've heard of really interesting systems people have used, like putting stickers on different cards. So you can remember, for example, which card you should use at a restaurant versus which one you should use at a grocery store. You could also leave yourself little notes in your wallet or your purse or even leave post-it notes inside your car. So there are all sorts of tricks that people employ to remember these things. But Honestly, if you don't want to remember which card to use when, you could always just use one card that earns the same rewards rate everywhere you use it. And yeah. that's a lot easier of an option. That's definitely my game. Now, I want to talk about some of the, the features in this that aren't specifically cash related. On this card, which is titanium, kind of fancy, mm -hmm. there's no number on the card. And, uh, you know, which, which I think is a little bit off-putting at first, but Apple will give you numbers within the app on the phone so that if you need to, you're on the phone or, or you're on a website or something, and for some reason you need to enter an actual number, you can do that, but then it's like a one-time use number. So, so it doesn't end up getting stolen. Do you know of anybody else doing that? And talk about the value of that from a security point of view. You know, I'm not seeing that out of anybody else right now. And it is unusual to not have your credit card number on your card. But Apple's introduced that as a way to help consumers feel more secure. There's a lot of hesitation around using digital wallets. People are worried about what happens if somebody steals my phone. So if they can do something to help consumers feel like their data is protected, then that's going to go a long way in helping to build trust. But we don't know if it's going to confuse people because a lot of times... We know we're used to being able to pull out a card, look at the number on it. What if the, I mean, if the battery in your phone dies and for some reason you need to use your credit card, I don't know how you're going to get a number, right? That is definitely something to think about. You know, one thing you might want to do is carry a backup credit card just in case on the off chance your phone battery dies. But, you know, that's such a rare occurrence that hopefully few people will encounter it. But yeah. it is something to think about, and, and it, it is changing the way that we interact with our credit cards on a daily basis. And this is something that feels so personal. Uh, but Apple is known for revolutionizing how we do these everyday tasks. So it could be that this is another thing they're trying to change for everyone. It definitely raises the stakes of battery anxiety, though, because like not only do you lose your social media or your phone call, like you might lose your primary credit card if you're 
battery dies in some situations. All right, so uh, it's time to get some digits. Uh, Siri's got a couple of numbers especially relevant to our conversation today. Siri, what's up first? Four trillion dollars. Trillion dollars, not counting mortgages, that's the grand total for U.S. consumer debt. It's the highest it has ever been after adjusting for inflation. So part of Apple's push here in the app connected to the card is to show people exactly how much they're paying for credit. The idea being uh, you can make the minimum payment, but then they're going to show you how much you're going to end up paying in interest over time if that's all you do. And then you can kind of turn the dial and pay a little bit more. And then Apple will show you how much less you pay if you pay more on the card. You think that's important in this environment? Yeah, you know, any information that can help consumers make these decisions, and, and a big decision is, you know, can I afford to throw extra money at my debt this month, and what happens to me if I do, and what happens to me if I don't? You know, this can help people make that choice. And, you know, some months you might have a little extra cash on hand to pay off your debt more aggressively, and other months you don't. So this is a way to play with different scenarios and see, you know, how long will it take me to pay off my credit card debt? Now, how important is that to people, though? Because I know, I mean, you guys have uh, credit card rankings over at NerdWallet, and I imagine this is going to get evaluated in the cash back category, if nowhere else. Um, mostly, it seems to be on terms, uh, how much cash you get back, ease of use. But this is kind of like this softer category of Apple's trying to be nice to you and have you pay less. Does that, does that matter from a... From a usability, user-friendliness perspective, you think it factors into the rankings? You know, it actually matters a lot. You know, at NerdWallet, we found that the average U.S. household with credit card debt has $7,000 in revolving debt. And that means they're paying about $1,000 a year in interest. So if there's anything that can help you understand how much your debt is costing you and how long it'll take you to pay it back and what, if anything, you can do to shorten that time and shorten that cost, then it's a real win for consumers. All right, let's get another digit, Siri. $1.5 trillion. All right, $1.5 trillion. That's the total student debt for all of last year, and that is the highest form of that type of consumer debt. Sarah, you were, you were talking about uh, the amount of credit card debt that people are carrying, um, but there's lots of different categories that tend to pile up on people, right? Yeah, student debt is, is a real issue, especially for younger Americans. And when you combine that with credit card debt, it can make it really hard to afford all of your debt payments every month. So. At the same time, student debt isn't really considered as toxic as credit card debt because it generally has a lower interest rate. And so there are a couple of rules of thumbs that people can follow if they're making payments on their student loans. If you have a private loan with an interest rate that's 7% or higher, you really want to tackle that loan as aggressively as you can, get that loan balance down to zero, because then you can begin focusing on longer-term savings goals like retirement. Now, if your interest rate on your student loans is less than 7%, it gives you a little bit more wiggle room. You can continue making the minimum payments on that debt so you don't go into default, mm. but at the same time, you can tackle the retirement goal and set aside any extra money you have so it can grow for you and build a nice nest egg for you for your future. Makes good sense. And let's get a final digit. 
All right, you gave us 7,000, but 8,390. That is the number we found for the average credit card debt owed per U.S. household in the first quarter. That's the first quarter of this year, up 9% for 2015. So as you said, this is getting worse. Um, there, there are lots of different categories of credit cards. So bringing this back to the Apple card specifically, it seems to, in a way, be targeting the middle right, of the credit card user population, people who maybe are carrying a bit of a balance, people who perhaps don't travel a ton and then, uh, you know, aren't in the market for a travel rewards card specifically, really need that cash back, right? Yeah, you know, it, they provide, the Apple card provides an APR range. And what range, you know, what APR you're given when you apply for the card and get accepted for it can really depend on your personal financial situation. So things like your credit history and credit score, your income, and whether or not you already have any debt. And so consumers who already have an excellent credit score, low debt or no debt, they're in the best position to get that really competitive APR. Unfortunately, consumers who already have a lot of debt, maybe have lower income, um, they're not going to uh, get that lower than average APR out of the Apple card. So unfortunately, they're not going to get as much of a break as hopefully hmm. they would like to see. Okay, so uh, this is rolling out slowly. What, the way Apple did this was they had people sign up for notification if they're interested, and then uh, just starting this week, the first group of people kind of randomly got selected to get in and actually get the card. We'll send to them. You can activate it by just placing uh, the card on your phone. Kind of an interesting uh, system. Y you expect this to be big? You expect it to change the way other credit card companies offer rewards or, or do cash back? What do you think? Yeah, you know, whenever a much-hyped card enters the market, you can be sure that other credit card issuers are paying attention. And we can see everything from, you know, other issuers nudging you to use your digital wallet or maybe even raising the baseline cash back level closer to 2%. Mm. Um, Apple also designed a really simplistic titanium card. So if you opt into the physical card, you don't have that activation sticker on the card where you have to call somebody or go to a website to activate the card. You simply tap your phone to the envelope that the card comes in, which is really cool, actually. And I mean, if you've ever wrecked your manicures peeling that sticker off of a card, you can definitely appreciate that as a feature. Can't say that I have, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I appreciate how difficult that must be. Sarah Rathner, <laughs> thanks for joining me at Fort Knox. You can read you you. <laughs> the latest from Sarah on nerdwallet.com. Don't forget to follow her on Twitter, at Sarah K. Rathner. All right, I want to bring in CNBC's own Deirdre Bosa now. Deirdre uh, spoke with the Visa CEO earlier on Squawk Alley. I did as well. And of course, uh, Al has been uh, a guest on Fort Knox as well. So go back through the archives. Uh, you can see how he ended up at Visa here, his take on things. Deirdre um, asked him about the Apple card itself, and uh, he was more fulsome in his praise and anticipation of it, I would almost say, than I expected, saying, hey, they're a big, interesting company, and uh, kind of welcome to the market. Let's see what they do. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. He said, basically, this is a co-brand, and we have lots of co-brands, and there's lots of these that exist, but... 
this Apple card, you know, really has the ability to be a game changer. Exactly sort of what you asked him, John. And you're right. He, it did feel like he played that down a little bit. Just look at the number of Apple devices there are out there in the world. 1.4 billion, okay? That is a huge market. And for MasterCard to be the rails for this versus Visa, we don't know yet what's going to happen, but it could potentially be a very large missed opportunity for the company. And I know you were just talking about credit cards and rewards, et cetera. And I'll tell you, John, I don't actually have a credit card. I have refused to get one since I moved here about three years ago because I just don't want to fill out the paperwork. I find it too cumbersome. I actually applied for the Chase Sapphire card when I first got here. So I thought this looks pretty cool. The rewards look good um, because I had no credit here because I'm Canadian. I didn't get it, and since then, I just haven't really cared enough to do it. I even applied for the Amazon credit card once. It needed another piece of paperwork, so I said forget it. So I am actually very curious. I'm interested in this Apple card, if it really is as easy to apply and be approved as they say it is. Interesting. So uh, um, I wonder, do you, do you care to use, I guess, digital payments more kind of, you're a millennial, you're a bit younger than I am to, to say uh, the least, but still very much uh, in, in this. Not that much, John, come yeah. on. Well, you know, people watching would say uh, you, you look quite a bit younger than I am, so just just take it, Deirdre. Uh, are those digital features going to be something that would uh, particularly make you want to get this card, do you think? Do you think that's their pitch here? John, I care immensely, okay? Not only am I millennial, but I haven't grown up in the United States and everywhere, almost everywhere outside of the United States, Canada, Europe, Asia, it is so much easier to make digital payments. Mm. I have, over the last, you know, majority of the last 10 years, that's how I have paid, by tapping with my phone, with my Visa card that has the contactless function. It really blows my mind that that is just getting off the ground here in the U.S. And, you know, when Visa and Apple Pay roll out the subway um, idea of just tapping, and as a brand new concept, that has been around Vancouver, for example, for years already. So, Yes, I care a lot. That is something that I am very interested in. And I also think that not just because of my experience being outside of the United States and having access to this, once you start using it, it is very hard to go back. And even if it's, you know, two to five seconds um, at a point of sales, I find that very frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'll, I'll tell you, speaking of kind of technology and life and, and ease of use, the, the main area that I find interesting about the Apple card is as a card for kids, like, or not like young kids, obviously, they don't have credit cards, but, you know, young people, um, it's the kind of card that, you know, when my kids turn 18-ish, I would want them to have because of really showing you mm. how much the credit is costing, uh, kind of trying to help people manage that. Yeah. It, it's interesting because uh, overall, I feel like we talk about technology a lot with kids as being a problem, particularly when it comes to to entertainment, but we, we just got a smart lock on our front door. Um, and this, it's, it's because of the kids. So now they don't have to carry a physical key around. They'll always be able to get into the house. We don't have to worry about them losing keys. Mm -hmm. I might've lost a couple of those when I was in junior high. Deirdre, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about there. I'm notorious for, I, lo I lose keys no matter what. I've, I, I have a smart lock as well. I don't know how I'd function without it. Yeah, and I imagine you can <laughs> activate your door using uh, Alexa since you're also one of those Amazon heads. All about it. All about it. <laughs> 
You bring up a very important point, John. I think it gets to sort of financial education. We learn these things in school. You don't necessarily learn how to do your taxes, how to save money. And you can imagine that this is just a first step for Apple and for Goldman, right? They want to bring people further into the Apple ecosystem, further into the Marcus, the Goldman Sachs Marcus ecosystem. And that's a really good point. When you think about what you want for your children, if you want to show them how to have more um, control over their finances, this could be a very good way to do so, especially if you think that it's going to go down the road that many think it will over the next uh, few years. So I think that there's a lot more to come, and it goes back to our conversation with Al Kelly. Um, is this a threat to you if people become more integrated in this system? And it's not just Apple. I think you see that um, Square and PayPal are doing similar things, not with a credit card, but with a debit card with no mm -hmm. number on the front. Um, so it would be very interesting to see where this goes. And I think it could represent a big change in the financial services, fintech, digital landscape. Though speaking of, PayPal's got that uh, PayPal cashback MasterCard. Uh, also 2% people. So it's not, all, it's not all about Apple if you're if you got I a PayPal also, account. Like, as you were just speaking about the rewards and how the Apple card doesn't have the best rewards in the world, they're actually pretty tame compared to other credit cards that you can get out there. Yet at the same time, I'm a perfect example of someone who thought they might have wanted the Chase Sapphire that you pay hundreds of dollars a year to have. In the end, I'm like, forget it. I just want something that's easy, that is accessible, that I can sign up with in minutes. So I wonder if that in turn changes what the credit cards are gonna be offering. Yeah, we will see. I, I did not or have not yet signed up for this Apple card. Happy with what I've got, but you know, it's a lingering possibility. I have. I'll admit it. Oh, you did? <laughs> all right. Yeah, all right. So I'll well, let we'll, you know. I'll let you know how it goes. Let us know how it we'll, we'll do this again. We'll find out how it turned out. Deidre, <laughs> thanks for being on Fort Knox today. Follow Deidre on Twitter at D underscore Bosa. And that'll do it for this week on Fort Knox. We'll see you next week. I'm John Fort from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. Subscribe wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Check out the reviews on iTunes. Leave me a note. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox series on LinkedIn. That's brand new and a great way to keep up with the trends I'm seeing both on this Fort Knox show and in my other work on CNBC. That's also the absolute best way to be in touch with me. Leave a comment on the series. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox channel on YouTube, F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X.com slash YouTube. Matter of fact, you can go to YouTube now and see video of these conversations. Or you can go to the CNBC apps on Apple TV or Amazon Fire TV and find Fort Knox in the featured area. Meanwhile, share this. Tell a friend. Drop me a note on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or FortKnox.com. And as always, thank you for lending an ear.